Amen, Lord, that is the truth. That is our heart's desire, Lord. We don't want to do anything apart from you. We love you in your name, I pray, amen. Hey, have a seat. You know, uh, there's small actions that can happen that under the right circumstances, at the right time, with the right people, they can create what we would call a tipping point. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book, actually he called it Tipping Point, in in which he said this. He said, a tipping point is a magic moment when a threshold is crossed and now there is momentum like there was never before. You know, this can happen everywhere from a, a product to a trend to an idea. We've all in our lives navigated tipping points at some point in time. Maybe it was a good tipping point. Maybe it was a not so good tipping point. Let me give you an example. That old car that you have put money into over and over and over again has reached a tipping point. It's not worth putting money into it anymore. Maybe it's time to upgrade. Or perhaps this tipping point, you know, the climate at your workplace has gotten gotten bad. It's hard. And perhaps it's reaching a tipping point where it, it may be time to step out and look for another place of employment. Or how about these good tipping points? You know, you've been in a relationship for a while now, and it's kind of hitting that tipping point where I think I might want to spend the rest of my life with this person. I think we want to get married. I think we're going to move forward together. That's a good tipping point to have. Or perhaps you own a business, and your business is booming, and you've gotten to the point where maybe you need some office space now, or, or you need to hire some people, or you need to purchase that big piece of equipment that you've been holding off of. The tipping point has finally come, and it's time to do that. Perhaps even this fall, we may see the tipping point of the Cleveland Browns and they may actually win the Super Bowl. That is our heart's desire. Truly, as, as we look down throughout history, there's always been tipping points. Wars have been fought over tipping points. Battles have been won and lost over tipping points. The assembly line was developed because of a tipping point. Computers and cell phones, and for many of us, GPS has been an amazing tipping point in our lives. We've seen it throughout history, and today we want to look at a a specific tipping point that changed and formed the church as we know it forever. And what happened then becomes our reality still today. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. So if you brought your Bibles... Turn to Acts chapter 6 or um, on your phones. If you have a Bible app, go ahead and get to Acts chapter 6. And while you do, let me just back up a couple of verses to the very end of chapter 5. Because here's what's happening at the end of chapter 5. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. You see, at this point in the book of Acts, there were 12 apostles. And that word apostle simply means this. It means one who is sent out. And and these 12 apostles that are being spoken of here are one specifically who had witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And now they were commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim and preach the gospel message, the word of God, everywhere to everyone. 
And that is important to note because these apostles had been given a specific job to do. They were to go, preach, teach, and spread the message of Jesus to everyone everywhere. That was their job given to them by Jesus. And so at this point in the book of Acts, they're all still gathered in Jerusalem. This is where they're located. And, and, and they, at the end of chapter 5, these guys had been flogged, they had been beaten, and they had been told by the ruling authorities of Jerusalem that they needed to stay quiet. They needed to be quiet. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop spreading this word about Jesus. And to which they responded the same way I hope you and I would respond if that were to happen to us. They said, forget you, and they continued to teach the message of Jesus Christ anyway. They refused. And so publicly, from house to house, they, they, they went and they proclaimed and preached and taught that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, chapter 6. And, and, and as we come to chapter 6, they continue to preach and they continue to proclaim that the message of Jesus as they had been instructed to do. Only now, there's the undercurrent of a little problem that's brewing. And, and this problem is, is starting to become a bigger problem. Here's what it says in 6, verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. i got to tell you, as a church leader... I, I find some kind of odd satisfaction to know that even the early church struggled with problems. Because when there's people, there's always going to be some challenges. And they had challenges to face. They had problems to take care of. And the church throughout history and throughout the days has always done that. No church is perfect. And any church that claims to be perfect, you should probably get out of because they're definitely not. So there's, there's no such thing. There's always been problems in the church and there's still problems today that we we face we navigate we work through together as a family and as they did the problem that showed up here in this church was the problem of favoritism right and, and i don't know honestly for certain if this is a a problem that was intentional or unintentional i don't know perhaps it was intentional Perhaps there was some racism that was creeping into these early church members. Perhaps there was some, there, there was some problem with unity between the Hebrew-speaking and the Greek-speaking believers. That's possible that it was intentional. Perhaps, though, maybe it was unintentional. Perhaps these, 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 these Greek spe- or Hebrew-speaking Christ followers were... were uh, um, struggling to, to communicate with the Greek-speaking Christ followers. Perhaps the, the Greek-speaking people were, were, were struggling to let them know what their needs were. And perhaps the Hebrew-speaking ones were struggling to understand what their needs were, and the problem was totally unintentional. Whether it was intentional or unintentional isn't the issue. The issue is there's a problem. And the problem was big because these Hebrew-speaking Christ followers, they're most likely from Jerusalem. That's where they're at now. The Greek-speaking ones were likely from the outside areas. Because remember, they, at Pentecost, many people from surrounding areas came to know Jesus as their Savior. 
And so these would have been many of the Greek-speaking ones that weren't from the area. And, and, and amongst them were some widows, a particularly vulnerable group, especially at that time, and they're being overlooked in the food distribution. This is a problem anywhere, for any time. It's a problem in the church, and it's especially a problem in this early church, because this early church didn't yet have procedures in place, didn't yet have programs, didn't have systems on how to handle these things yet. And so they were struggling with them, which leads us to verse 2 in chapter 6. So the 12, that is the 12 apostles, they called a meeting of all the believers. They said, okay, we have a problem. Let's, let's get together and talk about this. They pulled them together and they said, look, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Literal translation means that they should not be serving tables. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a prideful statement they're making. That isn't what it was about. It was actually a statement made from awareness. It was a statement in which they said, look, we have been given a specific job to do. God told us that we were to teach and preach the message of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. That is our job, and, and we can't do it all. We see these needs that are starting to come, and we don't have the ability to take care of them all. We can't do it. We need some help. And as the church grew, then it grew, and more people came, more needs were present. And as more needs become present, they, they realized they needed help. And among these who were in need of the, were the group of widows that were being overlooked. It's almost in this situation like these apostles were going, oh no, what, are we, what should we do? We, we, don't, we don't know. We've been gifted by God and commissioned by God to teach the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to everyone, everywhere. But we also recognize on the other side that there's this, these practical needs that need to be met. We can't handle this all. What should we do? See, it's at this moment that, that the church in Acts was at a tipping point. There, there was something that came up. And how are they going to handle this? What are they going to do? So they put together a plan. We see the plan in verses 3 and 4. It says, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. So their plan was simple. Just get some help. It, to, to which I asked a couple of questions that I think I can address fairly easily. One was, why seven? Two is, why men? And three, why did they have to be filled with the Spirit and, and of, of, in truth and be well-respected? Why was that important? Well, let me answer some of these easily. I think they chose seven, get this, because they figured that's how many they would need. I mean, right, these guys, they're not dumb. They got together and they talked about it and they said, how many people is it going to take to do this? Well, I think seven. Great. Then pick seven. Easy as that. Why men? Well, we have to think culturally here. Right? Culturally, at that time, it would have made sense for them to choose men. They would have been expected to choose men at that time. So culturally, it makes sense. I think the bigger question is, why did these men need to be well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom if they're just distributing food? Why do you suppose that? Well, actually, this makes a lot of sense. Let, let me see if I can help. Hunger is powerful. 
Hunger is, is controlling. And I'm not just talking about, oh, we're a half hour late for lunch hunger. I'm talking about you don't get lunch hunger. It, it's, it creates desperation. And desperation, desperate people do desperate things, don't they? Especially when they're hungry. I can imagine at this time in history, people were jumping in line, people were stealing, people were cheating, people were doing whatever they could do to get what they needed because fear and hunger drives people to do those things. You remember 2020? You remember trying to buy toilet paper? (laughs) It makes sense, doesn't it? People are scared, people get hungry, people do things they wouldn't normally do under those circumstances. Good people do bad things when they are hungry. And so, to lead a food distribution, well, this was going to take someone that was well-respected. It was going to take someone that could be wise, that could be fair, that, that could lead impartially. But why, but why spirit-filled? Well, I can tell you real simply why spirit-filled. Because I don't care what job you do in this church, it better be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're emptying a trash can, it better be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when we do anything outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? Problems happen. Pride happens. Credit happens. And we start elevating ourselves instead of acknowledging who's put us there. The Holy Spirit. So we trust Him for everything. And they trusted Him in this instance to lead the food program. This plan was a tipping point for this church. As the move expanded and the responsibility expanded, yes, the gospel needed to be preached, but real needs needed to be met. And so then we move on to verse 5 and 6. It said everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. Now, say those names five times real fast. He was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. And these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. You know, Stephen and Philip are mentioned here in this list first, likely because Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he's going to bring both Stephen and Philip back into the story of the church in just a little bit. In fact, next weekend, we're looking a lot more at Stephen and the role he played in the early church. The other five on this list, we don't know much about, but I tell you what we do know about is critical. And so what do we know about the other five? Well, simply this. Each of the other five people had Greek names. Why is that such a big deal? I think that is a powerful detail because that tells us that these guys were not just chosen because they were respected and full of the Spirit, but also because they would have linguistically been able to communicate with the Greek-speaking widows who would be overlooked. They would have been able to communicate with the Greek-speaking audience overall. This was a bold move because these guys would have had the ability to work with the very group of people who were being overlooked. This was, a, this was a big step. And they were uniquely suited 
for this role of food distribution, so solemn was this tipping point, so important was this tipping point that the apostles gathered around them to pray and lay hands on them. So important is every single role in the church that it, it needs prayer. It, it almost makes me emotional when I think about this next verse in 7. It says, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. It makes me emotional when I think about that because when people serve, something incredible happens. Other people came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Their willingness to serve had eternal consequences for many, many people in Jerusalem at that time. This is, what if, just imagine, if one of, just one of the apostles would have said, you know what, I don't feel like teaching. I'd rather do the food. Or what if one of the food people would have said, you know what, I think I'd like to try my hand at this teaching thing. It doesn't seem so hard. Let me try it. Or what if either of them would have said, you know what, we just got better things to do. We don't want to do it at all. What, if any of those things would have happened, imagine the eternal consequences that would have taken place because of their willingness and their humility and their desire to step in and fit the role that God had specifically called them into, people were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This was critical, and it was important. Each one willing to step up, and as a result, the church grew, and it moved forward, and even some of the most unlikely people, it says, came to know Jesus as their Savior, and the city of Jerusalem was transformed. It changed as a result of this happening. This is a tipping point. And as these apostles died, and Paul, who came along later and was apostle, he died. Throughout history, right up to today, to you and I, every local church is under this. Every local church is under the ultimate authority of Jesus, yes, but, but led by an elder or elders and usually with a teaching pastor or pastors helping to take the lead, preaching the word of God just as the apostles did, yes, but preaching the word of God is not all the local church can do. There's so much more. Because what we learn from Acts chapter 6 and what we learn from history is that we have many needs in the church. There are many things to be done. And so as the Apostle Paul, he went around the Mediterranean Sea and he started starting these churches up. And as he did, he would write them letters to encourage them. And, and one of the letters he wrote to the church of Ephesus, Paul said these words. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers. That is, he's given leaders to help lead the church body. He's giving them responsibilities to lead. Why? It says in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look, Paul is saying the church here is like, is like a body. It's made up of many parts. As the body grows and develops, 
each, each part has to function and do its job. Yes, the pastor is supposed to make sure that people have the opportunity to serve and there's opportunities there, but it's part of the church's responsibility as we grow and develop to do your own part, to fill in. In other words, every believer not only has a part to play, but they need a part to play. A simple example of that is this. I mean, it's a, it's a simple example, but you can buy a million-dollar car, but without a $3 spark plug, it ain't going to run, right? You break your finger, your whole body hurts. It affects everything, and that isn't to minimize the role of those things. It's to do the exact opposite. It's to elevate the importance of each person playing their part. You and I are better when we're working together, that's the bottom line. And so as a pastor, I can say this from the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful to so many of you as I look around this room and I see face after face after face and I go, oh, you are doing a fantastic job serving. I'm, I'm proud of you as I look around and I see people who I know just jump in all the time. Wherever it's needed, you're there. And you're doing things. I, I, the prime example, I know Eric shared this with you last week, but we had, a, we had a huge water issue last Saturday night, late. An issue that could have and probably should have shut the church down for the weekend. We had an inch of water covering our entire atrium and kids' area last week. And about 8 o'clock at night, 20 or 25 people with shop vac showed up and sucked I don't know how many gallons of water out of this church set up fans and were cleaning so that our kids could have a place on Sunday morning, so that we could come here on Sunday morning and be together. It was powerful to see many of you come and be a part of that because you cared and you filled a role. It wasn't glamorous, but it needed done. And you did it. And I just... I've been impacted over and over and over again seeing these things happen, and truly it's caused me to worship, and it's caused me to give thanks to God for each and every one of you. And as we thought about this, we said, why don't we ask some of the people who serve why they do it? And so here, let me just share with you some of the responses we got as we asked people from all three campuses, why do you serve? This is what they said. I serve in Chapel Kids because it's important to provide opportunities for our children to learn about Jesus. Yes, we are passionate about our kids, and we're passionate about helping them take steps towards Jesus in their relationship. Um, this person said, I find every time I'm focused on others, not myself, especially in serving, that's where true joy is found. I wonder how many people would say, yes, that is true for you too. Find joy and serving others. This person said, I love the chapel because, or I love serving at the chapel because I love being able to share the gifts God's given me. Many of you have gifts that need to be shared. Uh, actively participating on a team each month is a way for me to love others inside the walls and share my gifts. Um, this person said, it gives me an opportunity to serve my church, which has ministered to me for so many years. I'm so glad to hear that, that we can help each other. Um, this person said, when I serve, it's an act of love and follows in the footsteps of Jesus. That is what we want to do, become more and more like Jesus. Jesus is a God who serves, that, that didn't come to be served, and so we become more like him. I love this. Uh, this last one, um, I, I get 
a, a way to get active in the church, and we have been blessed from meeting so many people on and off the team. This is a bigger church, and one of the things I hear often is it's hard to get to know people. And I, I won't deny it, it's harder in a bigger church to get to know people. But I tell you what, this is one great way to get to know people. Because when you jump on a team and you start serving and you start helping out, you start becoming family with those people real fast. And those are the people that will be praying for you, that will be encouraging you. This is a great way to do that. And the impact isn't just felt on the people you serve or that are watching, but the impact is felt on the people who are serving too. And, um, and so as the pastors here, we knew we were going to be talking about Acts chapter 6. If it is in fact my job, or one of my jobs, is to help you find a place, I said, I want to come at least prepared to do that. And so let me, let me share with you this morning some of the things, well, you may not even know some of these things happen, that happen on weekends and during the week that you could potentially plug in and help with. Here, here they are. You ready? Chapel Kids, Chapel Middle School, Chapel High School. I can tell you this much. I have two daughters that were both cared for by people in, both, in, in, in these groups. I have one right now that's met just last week with her high school group leader for coffee. And I tell you what, that means not only just as a father, but as a Christ follower so much to know my daughter's being impacted by people who are encouraging her, praying for her, love Jesus. Our kids need this. Um, we need chapel group leaders. We have... Um, Grounds and setup stuff that's happening. Um, in fact, don't forget Saturday morning we have a work day from 9 to 11 here. If you want to help us spread mulch, let us know you're coming at the Welcome Center. Uh, we have a meal ministry. Did you know this happens? When we have families that are struggling, when they're going through something perhaps, maybe in a medical thing, we have a whole team of people that makes dinners for them and drops them off just to help their families out. It's incredible ministry. We have event child care that's important. Our prayer team, you know, every week we have people praying for you. Not only people praying for you, but when you fill out those connect cards with your prayer request, or you text in, or you email us prayer requests, they go on a list that goes out to this prayer team, and people begin praying for you instantly. We need people that are willing to be warriors in this way and jump in and help pray for the needs of this church and the people inside. We have people that do that. Um, or how about this? Our facilities maintenance. You want to show up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night and clean up water out of the atrium? Facilities maintenance is for you. Um, first impressions teams, our greeters, our smiling faces, the people that make you feel welcome. That's that team. Our tech team, those are the people in the back that you never even know about are here until something goes Nice, Mark. That would be Mark, Mark at the chapel dot family. Mark at the chapel dot family. Our tech team, a great group. Um, boy, constantly needing help. Security team, you know, you may not know. We have individuals that are around our buildings on Sunday morning that are here specifically for the purpose of keeping us safe, our kids safe. They're watching out. And we want this to be a safe place for people to come. 
We have a team to do that. Our worship team, do you have the ability to play and sing? We need your help. Are you got a gift that you've been holding back? Don't hold back. Jump in. Um, this is the list. It's not an exhaustive list. There's many, many more not on here. But I tell you what, if one of these ministries went away and just disappeared, you know what we should say? We should say, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Because we need them. And they're important to the life of the church. Look, the church can't run on one individual. The church runs because of one individual. That's Jesus Christ. And we are here for him, but it takes all of us. You and I are co-ministers at this church. It's not just me. It's all of us sharing in ministry. Each person serving in different ways. Yes, you have a role. I have a role. He has a role. She has a role. But we all have a role. And so here's maybe the million dollar question. I wish we had time because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 12, there's a list of spiritual gifts that, that, that the Holy Spirit gives to Christ followers for the good of the church. And we don't have time to jump into these gifts. I wish we did. Love to talk about it sometime. But let me sum up by helping where you might fit in by just asking you these four questions. What do you like to do? What are you passionate about? What abilities do you have? Maybe an ability we don't even know of that you're capable of. What kind of experiences do you have? The last question I want to ask you is this one. What is your personality like? That's an important question because if you're not very patient, you probably don't want to hold crying babies. So we want patient people holding crying babies. If you're, if you're not very patient, then maybe um, the facilities crew would be for you. So those are important ones to answer so that you can be, start becoming who God made you to be and what he has made you to do. And if you are already serving here, thank you. And I tell you this, not because I'm trying to make anyone feel guilty and not because I'm trying to pressure anyone into serve. However, I do want you to feel the weight and the importance of playing your part. And so when you're ready for the good of the church, for the good of your community, and for the good of your own spiritual growth, maybe it's time for the tipping point to take your next step. So I want to help with this in the last moment. I'm putting on the screen a, a phone number and a word, serve nor. One word. If you text that word, serve nor, to the number here, um, uh, we're going to help plug you in. If you're not um, text savvy, that's okay. Use the connect card. Put your name, email, and the word serve nor on there. Let me tell you what happens when you do. Someone, uh, you will get an email this week with a list of things that are needs for you to look at, for you to begin to pray for, for you to begin to consider. And, and as you look at those, uh, those lists and you start answering some of those questions, one of the pastors is going to reach out to you in the next week or two to just say, hey, where are you at? What do you need? How can I help? How can I answer questions? We want to help get you plugged in to this group. If you're already serving, thank you. If you're not, take advantage of this. Uh, and maybe I should have started with this. But this powerful verse in Mark 10 says, Even the Son of Man, as Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom for many. Look, this is the bottom line. At the end of the day, we want to follow the example that Jesus set for us, and we want to follow the example that the early church 
set for us. As they preached the word of God, yes, but they also made sure that needs were met. And as a result, it impacted the entire community and the world. People came to know Jesus and their efforts. And the same thing's happening today. So is this your tipping point today? Even better, is your tipping point going to be what starts someone else's tipping point to coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Just maybe. I pray that it would be the case. Let me pray for you today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for setting the example of what it's like, Lord, to serve. You were the perfect model for that. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for giving us the privilege to do that, the joy of serving you, Lord Jesus. Uh, help direct us into knowing where best that might be done. Lord, if, if someone's wrestling with this, I pray that you would just direct them, perhaps, to the place you would have for them. Because, Lord, whatever we do, may it be done through your spirit, through your power. Help us today, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week, and we will see you later.